should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out. And it's also hashtag FOF or FOF. Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week to week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Good evening, and welcome to tonight's program hosted by the American India Foundation and the Commonwealth Club of the Silicon Valley. My name is Usha Nesamoni, and I'm a trustee of the American India Foundation. We are proud to present tonight's program as a collaborative effort between our two organizations. AIF is one of the largest American nonprofits focused on development in India. AIF invests in high-impact interventions in education, livelihoods, public health, and leadership development, and has impacted the lives of 2.3 million Indians to date. For anyone here who wants to be involved in development, either here or in India, we would love to hear from you, um, because we are all very passionate about it, and we would love for you to be involved. Um, the Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's oldest and largest public affairs forum. We bring over 450 annual events on topics ranging across politics, culture, society, and the economy to more than 20,000 members throughout the Bay Area. If you want to know more, please visit their website at www.commonwealthclub.org. We hope you'll also join us uh, for the next event on March 21st with Sumini Sengupta. She's the foreign correspondent for the New York Times, and she will discuss her thoughts on the new India and how the country is dealing with issues related to economic opportunities, gender equality, and civil uh, liberties. And this program is going to be right here in the recital hall. Um, we also want to let you know that during our program, we will have time for your questions. So we encourage you to write out your questions, and the staff and volunteers will be walking around and we'll collect it um, so Sanjay can answer it for us. 
The um, Commonwealth Club is proud to podcast and broadcast a number of our programs on KQED, FM 88.5 on Fridays at 8 p.m., and KLIVAM 1590 on Thursdays at 7 p.m. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce tonight's guest, Sanjay Patel. Sanjay is a supervising animator and a storyboard artist at Pixar Animation Studios. He's been with Pixar for the last 14 years and has worked on blockbuster films including Monsters, Inc., Bugs Life, Toy Story 2 and 3, and our fa family's favorite, Ratatouille, and The Incredibles. Sanjay attended the Cleveland Institute of the Arts and the C California Institute of the Arts renowned animation program. His short film, Sanjay's Super Team, premiered at the Annecy International Animation Film Festival in France and accompanied the theatrical release of Pixar's The Good Dinosaur in November of last year. Sanjay, as you all know, Sanjay's film has been nominated for the Oscar, um, Oscars this year. Sanjay highlights elements of his Indian heritage to a series of beautifully illustrated books based on Hindu mythology and ancient Hindu epics, including the Little Book of Hindu Deities, Ganesha's Sweet Tooth, and the Ramayana, which took Sanjay four years to write and illustrate. His work has also been featured at the Oakland Museum of California exhibit, Pixar's 25 years of animation, and in exhibits at the Brooklyn Art Museum and our own Asian Art Museum in San Francisco. Moderating tonight's discussion with Sanjay is Stephen Som. He's the editor of Santa Clara Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Sanjay Patel and Stephen Som. Good evening and wel welcome everybody. Welcome Sanjay. I think this is, uh, it's, it's a real privilege to have you here for the, the conversation this evening um, and wonderful to have kicked things off by, by, by seeing this, this fantastic film. Um, and congratulations again on, on, on the Oscar, Oscar nomination. Thank you, Stephen. Um, so one of the, I think the, the natural question that a lot of people have right, right off the bat is, comes from the, the words that are right there at the beginning of the film, based on a mostly true story, <laughs> right? Um, mostly true how? Um, well, uh, thank you, Commonwealth Club. Thanks you, seriously, thanks you guys for coming. I'm really, it's really awesome to see everybody come out. Um, <laughs> thanks, Commonwealth Club. <laughs> um, so the mostly is, you know, it took me 30 years to like put this stuff together. 30 years, and um, this little kid, little Sanjay, puts it together in like less than two minutes. <laughs> and so um, that's the part that's mostly true. Uh, I was a lot slower and um, colder to sort of being interested in my parents' culture. So during the light, light uh, kind of mid-90s, uh, electronic music was kind of, I don't know, pretty ubiquitous in the Bay Area. I was really absorbed in it. And there was this weird thing that was happening. Um, a lot of these sort of underground dance parties were appropriating spiritual imagery from my parents' culture. And I was like, wow, this is, I love the music. I was listening to it day and night. And I was like, this is bizarre though. This is imagery that I would see in my parents' shrine. And, and yet suddenly it like was, it made it okay to like relook at it one more time. 
It made it okay that suddenly all my American friends felt that it was cool. And so, like, it made me sort of want to look at their gods in fresh eyes. And when I did, I just felt so inspired by what I saw. The thing that I didn't want was this is imagery that I felt like that was from my parents' world. This wasn't imagery that was from my world. Mm. And so that was the kind of the impetus to sort of illustrate these books because I wanted to sort of see my parents' culture in the way that I wanted to see it, in a way that was hybrid, mm-hmm. in a way that was both you know, informed by the East but also a product of the West. So how, 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 did you, how did you do that? What was it? What are the elements that allowed you to bring things together and, and, and one of the things that I'm curious about is, is there even a, a metaphor or a framework that you use for, for what you've done? Um, you know, because we live in a culture where people talk about mashups and this right. and this and that. Right. But is there something about the artistic process that you're, you're engaged in and, and bringing together those, those cultures? You know, in the short, we came up with a phrase at Pixar. And um, I believe the art director, Chris Asaki, came up with this phrase. And the phrase was the East-West handshake. They even had like a little thumbnail drawing on a post-it. They're like, at this point in the, in the third act of the film, it's like, this is when the East-West handshake happens. Um, but when I was first exploring uh, my first book here, Little India, I think the, you know, Stephen, before I was getting into this, I was doing really moody, dark, charcoal comics. Mm. And then I was like, you know, because I worked in like bright, poppy, I don't know, commercial animation all day long that I wanted something different than that. And I did that for so long, I never tried to do bright poppy work for my personal work. And so I thought, well, I was listening to this electronic music. They had all this sort of imagery from my parents' culture, even samples. And I thought, well, if I was gonna appropriate religious iconography and kind of retell these stories, I want to make sure that I'm not going to step on people's toes. And so um, one of the orientation points for me was, I don't know if people have heard of uh, Sanrio. This is the Japanese brand that's popular. got some nods out here. <laughs> well, they're famous for like Hello Kitty. Um, I think Sanrio is amazing because it's like the cutest thing on planet Earth. And um, I just felt like if I was going to re-illustrate these, my parents' deities, um, I wanted to make sure that, first and foremost, the spirit of like fun and love was the first thing that would be communicated. And I feel like people can get disarmed um, if they feel like they're getting something that's so super cute that they maybe even give you a second look at it. And I felt like if it was just going to be cute, that would feel like you know kind of a waste of time to me. But if I was going to use a cute I don't know, idiom to sort of show you Ganesha, it might invite somebody to actually read the paragraph right beside him. And I feel like that was my whole goal. Like my nieces and nephews were obsessed with Pixar animation, but they, would, they, would, they wouldn't be at all interested in their parents' sort of gods and superheroes. And so I just felt like my job was to like make it fun and gettable. That's why I have to, have to interject that my, my six-year-old niece, Elaine, her favorite, favorite book is Ganesha's Sweet, Sweet Tooth, <laughs> of those that, that you've done. I take no credit for it. That's like a retelling of a myth that's been out there for 5,000 or 3,000 years. <laughs> I take no credit for it. But, but, it but, but it's also, of course, what, what draws 
her as, I think, it probably, uh, I also hear a number of younger voices out here in the audience, which is tremendously cool. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the, Im the, the images, the illustrations that you created are, are dazzling and bring, bring the story to life and draw people in, in a way, um, to delight them and open up stories that they, that they haven't heard. Even if these, yes, the stories might be, might be ancient, but, um, but there's this kind of wonder and discovery that, that, that comes thanks, thanks to your work. Well, I mean, it's the pictures that grabbed me first. I mean, before I read the pictures, even though they were in my parents' shrine, they didn't speak to me. And uh, it was only until I started reading the stories did the pictures start to really unlock for me. I wanted to show the, the Ramayana um, just because I spent about a year it, almost two years sitting down and just trying to read this myth. And for somebody like me, I, I don't speak Sanskrit. I can't read Sanskrit. I, I can't read. I can't speak Hindi. And so there were so many layers for me to even be able to access this amazing story. And it took a long time for me to just finally download it and read it. Uh, luckily, there's a, a fantastic sort of adaptation by Ashok Banker. He's a modern novelist in uh, Bombay. Uh, he's actually living in the States now. He's actually working in film and TV. And uh, he had created, you know, uh, I don't know, it was like a 4,000 page, seven volume fantasy retelling of the Ramayana. And, um, and I read it and it blew my mind. And um, it just felt like nobody at the studio, nobody at Pixar, even though we were like this temple of storytelling, Nobody knew about that myth. Nobody knew about that story, or very few people knew about it. And uh, all of my like, geeky comic book friends and artist illustrator friends, the second I would tell them a little bit about the Ramayana, they were like, that is so cool. And bit by bit, I'd show them a drawing, an illustration of Jatayu. Jatayu is uh, the bird king. He's there getting his wing chopped off by Ravan, the ten-headed demon. You know, when you start just talking about these ideas, you know, as an artist or as my artist friends, they were just like, that is so blanking cool, Sanjay, you've got to tell that. <laughs> and, um, you know, for most South Asians growing up in India, that stuff is like coming out of the walls and they want the, that's the last thing they want to see because it's so ubiquitous. But here in the States, it was new to me, even though it was in my parents' shrine, even though it was in the DNA of my parents, um, every time we'd sneeze in the house, my parents would say, they wouldn't say gesundheit, they wouldn't say bless you, they would say sitaram. It took me 30 years to understand what the heck sitaram means. <laughs> sitaram is actually two words. They're saying Sita, the goddess, in this great myth, and Rama, um, the god, the hero prince um, of the Ramayana. And of course it would be auspicious to invoke their name because it would be as auspicious as somebody saying God bless you in this culture. Anyway, there was just so many layers to, when I read these stories, it was, I didn't know it at the time, but each, each book really helped me kind of decode my parents and decode their culture and decode my uncles and aunts. And that was the surprise in all of this, Stephen, is yeah, the story was cool. Like, oh my God, Ramayana is super cool. My parents were like, I'm, my parents had a good thing going and I just couldn't see it. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. And they had no way to kind of transmit that to me because I was so, uh, I was so steeped in the kind of the Western idioms. So it was really, really, really exciting to take everything that I knew about American art, American storytelling, um, animation, and use it to sort of help first teach myself these stories mm-hmm. and then to teach it to like my friends and like my nieces and nephews. You know, I, I, each one of the books I always called jokingly as my book report. It was the book I have to read and then I took about a year off from Pixar to um, just illustrate the Ramayana. It just took so long but I wanted to make sure I did it as best as I could. Well, I just undertaking the, the reading of it. I mean, as you noted, right, you've got 4,000 4, pages in this, in this uh, the edition that, that you started with. It's pretty epic. Right? I mean, this is bigger than the Iliad and the Odyssey put together, right? That's right. I mean, it's kind of like, this is an undertaking. Yes. Um, but then, so to create the, the illustrations for, for each of those pages then, because I think as, as an artist, I think if you could talk about that, how you actually, what, what is the process that you go through? What's the investment of time and how, you, how that takes shape as you're creating these things? So uh, there was a, a colleague of mine at Pixar, his name is Bobby Podesta, he's a really good animator and um, he had this phrase for me. He was always somebody who can, um, I don't know, he was always really good at like organizing and I, I was always the like kind of the really slow artist. And before I left on my sabbatical to illustrate this story, uh, he's like, Sanjay, let me give you one t- uh, piece of advice. He, he gave me the phrase, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And this is the kind of speak that like, drives you know, my artist friends. I'm like, well, uh, don't, don't give me that. But it was a great piece of advice. And so I created a spreadsheet for myself. And uh, I knew exactly how many illustrations I needed to accomplish. And um, it worked out to be about an, uh, a spread and a half every day. And it was, it was really great. I, I, would, uh, I would draw, 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 and then keep drawing. And then um, I would listen to KQD all day long. Um, <laughs> in the morning, it would, oh, there would be the depressing parts, and then I'd switch over to KPXE in Seattle. But, um, and then I would use a program called Adobe Illustrator. And uh, this is a kind of a crazy program to illustrate anything in. But, um, Ironically, it's used for typefaces and it's used for things that are like logos and things that need to scale to the size of a billboard, not for illustrating a, a story like Ramayan. But I loved how graphic it is and, uh, and how precise and perfect it is. And so I'd spend the other half of the day listening to music and illustrating um, the Bear King. I'd be illustrating the armies of Hanuman. I'd be illustrating... Uh, I don't know, burning lunka. I spent so much time like eating the blank out of this. Like it mattered so much to me to make every one of those spreads 
something that I could magnify to wall size proportions, which ironically did end up happening when I had a show at the Asian Art Museum. So when the final battle happens between the bears, the monkeys, and the demons, I really wanted that to feel like there's a thousand characters on that page, and I really wanted that payoff. I don't know, I think at Pixar, we just kill ourselves. We kill yeah. ourselves on the details. So we, call, we have this phrase called, like, just muscle it. Like, at the end of the day, on everything we do, it is just pain. It's just how much pain can you eat? <laughs> and so it's just like, that's part of our DNA. I was like, okay, ancient 3,000-year-old epic, done. Okay, two years of reading, done. Okay, like lock myself in an apartment to illustrate this thing, done. And it's not going to suck because there's just been so many times where I've seen adaptations of the Ramayana for kids or for families, and it's just lacking. It's really lacking, and it drives me bananas. What isn't lacking is some of the artwork that I see that has no content. Here's amazing content, but there was no great illustrations to hook people. And so I was just damn right determined that somebody needs to do justice to the story to get people to like look at it. So it's interesting that you mentioned kind of pain as being part of the, part of the whole, whole process. Um, I mean, it's, can you talk about the, the place, of, place of storytelling also? Because you don't necessarily associate those two together. I mean, they go hand in hand at Pixar. <laughs> Even in animation, I mean, everything that we do is, um, my training is in uh, commercial animation. Big C, little a is what our training was. Big C in terms of commercial, little a in terms of um, something that's as idiosyncratic to somebody like my taste. You know, in terms of the commercial aspect, we want to always make sure that it's speaking to our audience. Um, storytelling is at the heart of communication. And it's at the heart of uh, kind of the character animation that I was steeped in. Everything in uh, animation is in service of communication. And communication to me is all about being able to arrest the audience. It's as simple as that. It's not positive or negative. It's not like, oh, we got them laughing in the aisles or crying. It's being able to seize an audience and have them by the throat where they cannot blink. That's called arresting. And if we have storytelling that that's is that arresting, then we got you. And to be able to do that is bloody, bloody, bloody hard, and we kill ourselves. We kill ourselves as storytellers, and we kill ourselves as commercial artists to make sure we have you by the throat. And so when I read Ramayan, the thing has amazing story turns. The thing has amazing plot twists. It's, it's, root, it's archetypical root stories that is transcended story to where it's become canonized and mythologized and has taken on amazing spiritual dimensions and philosophical dimensions. It is as pertinent and as substantive as anything that I can ever come across. And it was so meaningful that I just felt like we will eat pain, no, no problem, as long as the story is meaningful. If the story isn't there, then we're not gonna waste our time. So we will, we will spend about five years at the studio we're just testing the story and in the next, and spend about seven months actually producing that story. But five years on just redoing it, redoing it, throwing away, throwing it away, constantly throwing it away. That's the pain. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you know, to, to carry that sense of um, pain and over overcoming um, ob obstacles, 
that's, that's also at, at the heart of what's going on in uh, Sanjay's, Sanjay's super team. Um, that kind of that sense, sense of discovery and the, the, the micro and, and the macro stories that are going on there. So we've been talking about the, you discovering the myth, but you, these were, the, the worship was present in your life growing up in the States, but the understanding of it wasn't so much. That's, that's, that's what I'm gathering. So this is my dad at home, um, and this is his shrine. So, um, you know, the job for me was three times a day, I would be called to sit there right on that little kind of dirty mat there, right on that piece of carpet. And as you can tell, there's nothing in the walls other than uh, a spiritual sort of yantra, uh, which is a kind of a, a meditation sort of uh, image. And uh, if you, you could just ask any little kid, what, what's the worst form of torture? And that is to sit still and be quiet. <laughs> and so my job was to um, sit still and be quiet, uh, which is good medicine actually, and which is why I wanted to sort of bring that back around. But before I would have to sit still and be quiet, uh, my dad would call me to um, sing a song to the gods. You know, uh, there was no explanations of what we were doing. My dad would just do it. My dad would ask me uh, first thing to go out to the little garden in the motel and to collect uh, marigold petals. And uh, I just knew he'd just come in with this metal plate and I knew exactly what that meant. Okay, get the marigold petals, wash them and give it to my dad. My dad would then handpick each one of these petals and uh, wash the deities, these little idols he has, and uh, he would anoint them and, uh, in their highest chakra point, right between their eyes, and then uh, garland them with uh, flesh, fresh flower petals. And uh, growing up, I didn't see any of that. Growing up, I would just stare in the carpet I would just stare at that carpet and zone out, and I would look, you know, if you know, you know how you like look into the clouds, you could, if you just look long enough, you'll start seeing like, oh, that's a bird, well, that's, a, that's a rhinoceros or something. That's what I would be staring at. And so I was escaping from that circumstance by just using it, my imagination, which is what this little boy does. Um, luckily, he goes into an imagination that we got to construct. I didn't get that vision. The vision I would get was um, just utter boredom. But yeah. <laughs> but in hindsight, in hindsight, um, my dad was, uh, he was sort of, he was waking up the gods. He was waking up the most important guests in, in our house. He was making sure that they got washed because we would wash ourselves. He, was make, he would make sure that they got fed because we would feed ourselves in the morning. And then he would make sure that they got light, we would turn on a light. And then um, he would then sing a song to them to invite them to come to participate. Just like he would ask me to come participate. There was no explanation about any of that, Stephen. There would just be like, it's like Karate Kid where like, you know, the kid has to like paint the freaking, you know, <laughs> fence, sand the floor, and he just, you know, he was not into it. Miyagi wasn't explaining a thing. But then 30 years later, I was able to do this Kung Fu kick. <laughs> but Miyagi had him do the discipline and the ritual. And the ritual and the discipline is beautiful. But my dad, he, I don't think he had, I don't, 
I don't know if he was brought up in a way where he was going to transmit it to me. I think he may have just been brought up in a culture where he was expected to participate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's maybe an Asian orientation and an Indian orientation where it's like, you know, this is what we're doing. This culture is about participation, not the culture of individuality. Um, and so he forced me to participate. I'm grateful now. I hated it then. <laughs> and you were growing up in, in San Bernardino at the, at the time. So what, talk, talk about, you know, so you've got, got the picture here. Let's kind of pull the camera back. And so what do we see in the exterior? So what you see here, that's the front office of the Lido Motel. If you look very carefully, there's a window that's light shining. That's where people would rent rooms. So um, Route 66 is a dead road. We actually made a whole film about it called Cars. <laughs> um, right next to Route so uh, my parents immigrated from the UK, and they bought the kind of the most affordable business they, they could find, which was a derelict business that nobody wanted on Route 66 because there was no travelers there. And so they bought a bad business. Um, right outside the Lido Motel is Route 66. Right on the other side of Route 66 is the Santa Fe train line. So the entire, entire house would just be shaking half the day because this massive trains would come through all the time. And then right next to the Santa Fe trains were uh, kind of a 15-lane interstate. So it was just bypass. You're just constantly bypassed. And the way my parents survived was this thing called short time. Short time is what the prostitutes would come and get. Um, and my parents survived off that. I survived off of that. I went to art school because of short time. Sex work, they needed. It's illegal, but uh, they were going to conduct their business one way or another. And it's a, it's a very sad situation. And even when we didn't want to rent rooms to those customers, they would find a way to do their business outside the motel, nearby the motel. and so it became a very kind of ugly scene. And so um, we rented them rooms. My parents survived. And um, they had their business. Um, so those are the only people that came to the motel. And as a boy, I mean, you, the, the place where you found discovery, though, and delight, that, that we see a little bit of that in, in the film as well, don't we? So what, what, what were you watching? What was, what was, uh, what was created a sense of wonder and uh, delight for you on, on television? All right, so this is what I was growing up watching, was um, uh, these kind of low-budget cartoons. And uh, I really wanted to pay homage to that. So for instance, Super Friends was like the coolest thing on TV. And if you watch Super Friends now, this is uh, kind of a early 80s, sort of a uh, Justice League-type superhero show. And it would come on, and it would be like, oh my gosh, it's like Batman, Superman, Robin, like Wonder Woman, and they're all in this cartoon. This is going to be great. And of course, it was like the cheapest and like silly. Aquaman, thing. too. Aquaman. Oh. I mean, it was just like, it's, it was awesome. Um, and so I was really inspired about um, contrasting, you know, kind of simplistically, a very kind of low budget kind of pantheon, pantheon of deities to this kind of richer pantheon that, we were gonna, that the boy was going to see in three dimensions. You know, I was really excited about, like, oh, this is going to be brilliant. We're going to show the sort of the blonde-eyed, uh, or the blue-eyed, blonde-eyed, or blue-eyed, blonde-haired superheroes, and then we're going to contra- and that we have this little Indian boy worshiping those heroes. 
uh, in this kind of hokey, generic way, and then you know, he'll find these other superheroes that, that were essentially right under his nose. And I only show this slide because John Lasseter pointed out, this is, there's so many times where I just mess everything up. This is one of them. So I was like, oh, and this, this is gonna be hilarious. You know, we're gonna like make fun of Justice League, or Super Friends. And John saw it, this is the image on uh, your left. John saw that image, he's like, why are you doing that? He's like, um, that's a show from the 80s. He's like, you know, kids, he's, he knew why I wanted to make this short, to reach my nieces and nephews. And he's like, if you wanna reach your nieces and nephews, they're not watching that old silly stuff from when you grew up, they're watching cool stuff. Their cartoons today are cool. And he's like, in fact, he's like, um, if you have your protagonist watching a show that looks low budget and cheesy, that's gonna make him seem ridiculous. And we're gonna have a hard time buying into his story. We're gonna have a hard time empathizing with him. And he's like, if you want your audience to feel as crushed when that TV goes off as that little boy does, then you gotta make that show look cool because that's what kids are watching today. And he's like, and that means that when those deities come up, you have to up your game and make them even cooler. And so we changed it to reflect something that was more current, modern, and maybe cooler. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. There's a good story here. <laughs> All right, so um, fast forward or like rewind to like three years ago. I was kind of at this like burnout point. Um, I had spent about 10 years, you know, just being like this consummate student of animation and just perfecting my craft at Pixar. And then um, I kind of hit this burnout point. You know, I hit this burnout point of Western animation, European art, all of it. You know, I was just, that's all I was obsessed about. American animation, American art, graphic design, European art. I went to three different art schools. That's all they ever taught me. And, um, and there I was at Pixar making these great films that everybody worshipped. And I was like, I've done that. That's great. And I needed to find new inspiration. I was listening to this weird music <laughs> happening in the mid-90s, and I discovered Asian art that way. I had rediscovered it. My parents had it in their house the whole time. Um, and I got really inspired about it. I started making these books. And then uh, what was happening was, for the next 10 years, I was working all day at Pixar, all night at, um, on my own personal work. And then I just hit this burnout point where I was like, uh, in between my second book, I got divorced um, because I was just working day and night. I was obsessed. I love drawing. I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm no good in relationships. I'm really good with the relationship of paper and pencil. Um, I went to therapy. I learned a lot about myself and how to not repeat those mistakes. But um, I realized that I couldn't keep doing both because it was coming at a cost. I couldn't keep working all the time. And I knew that there was, an, there was like a landslide of students coming out of art school that would kill to have my job at Pixar, kill. And here I was like being split. And there was nobody coming out of art school that was burning with passion to be like, I want to do the Shiva Puranas. I want to tell the story of Agni. I want to tell the story of Ravana. I want to tell the story of uh, the Ramayana. There was no art students that were coming up to me with that kind of fervor. And so I was like, I got to do this, man. I got to do this. I got to step away from the money. I got to step away from the security. And I got to like man up and do the thing that's going to be better for like my community and for my nephews and for me. And so I was going to leave. I was like, I'm sorry, Pixar. I got to do this thing. You know, it makes no sense. I know I'll just be like broke and eating ramen, but I got to do it. <laughs> um, and Pixar was like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, we love your stuff. Come and, you know, bring it to Pixar. We'll, do, we'll help you make a short. And I was like, haha, that's very funny. Uh, you know, forget it. Um, I, I just thought that was a joke. Another producer came to me like, Sanjay, we really want you to develop a short. I'm like, uh-huh, funny. Uh, I don't think so. And I just ignored her, too. It, finally, the president of Pixar, Jim Morris, um, <laughs> asked me up into his office. I've never been up to his office. And he's like, Sanjay, what's going on? What's your problem, man? <laughs> and I was like, listen, man, I'm like, I want to do stories from my community and from like, my parents' culture. And it doesn't feel appropriate for Pixar. I'm like, I've been there 20 years. I know what's appropriate for Pixar. That's not appropriate for Pixar. I want to do mythological stories. And he's like, Sanjay, we're always interested in telling great stories. He's like, if you have a great story, we will back it. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> I walked away, and uh, I talked to my dad. And, um, and my dad, you know, he said, Sanjay, he's like, Pixar has put clothes on your back. They've educated you. They've, they've stood by you for 20 years. And now they're asking you to participate in this relationship. And um, for you to walk away from that without at least having not without at least having tried your best, he's like, That's, that would create bad karma. And karma is a big deal for my father. That would be an incorrect action. And so he's like, for you to keep your karma clear or clean, he's like, your duty, your dharma, your sacred duty is to at least try and to try your best. Until you've tried your best with what they're asking, you haven't done your job. You haven't fulfilled your relationship. He was right. I was just terrified of doing that, putting myself out there to Pixar. And so I tried. And I had 20 years. And I had 10 years of studying this stuff all day long, all, day, or all night long, and all, all weekend long. And so I was like, F it, man. I am all in. I am all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I had nothing to lose. And so I had four concepts. And I went fully brown, dark brown, dark brown. <laughs> and I was not going to sort of sell this out. I'm not going to sort of sell out my community. I was going for 
as esoteric and as arcane as possible, but the thing that my heart beat for, that's what I wanted to put out there. Forget the C in commercial art. I went for something that was burning white hot art for me. And <laughs> John Lasseter, uh, so I, it despairs, you know, I should say this. Um, John Lasseter saw my artwork in the hallway. We have these two hallways at Pixar. One hallway is dedicated to the artwork of our film. The other hallway is dedicated to an individual artist, photographer, anyone. And um, the second show at Pixar, they actually asked, uh, they, I had put up a, a, an art show at the Asian Art Museum here in San Francisco. People found out about it. They're like, why don't you bring that to Pixar, man? And I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome. So it was in the hallway. And um, it was on the way to John Lasseter's office. And so I had this meeting with John. You know, maybe I've had four conversations with John before this in the 20 years. John sat me down. He's like, Sanjay, I walked past your artwork for three months, and I loved it. He's like, there's no way you're walking out this door without you know, us celebrating your art. He's like, I love it. He even cornered me one time in the bathroom. It's always awkward when you see John in the bathroom. <laughs> it's like you're kind of scared. You don't want to make eye contact with him because he's like busier than God. But, um, you know, I was going in the bathroom. He was walking out. I was like terrified, but he didn't say anything to me. I was like, phew. He gets outside the bathroom and he's like, Sanjay, like yells my name. And then he runs back in. I'm like kind of terrified. And he's like, Sanjay, he's like, my son loves your book, Ramayana. He's like, he has an amazing teacher at this amazing school in Sonoma. He has this amazing mythology teacher. And this mythology teacher feels that Ramayana is one of the best stories on planet Earth. And his son fell in love with my book once his father brought it home. So John had known about my work, but it was John that wasn't going to let me walk out the door. It was John and Pixar who believed in my work. I didn't believe there was a place for it at Pixar. I've said this. It, it feels weird to say it, but it's hard to admit this. But um, I think as an immigrant, I think as somebody who's brown, growing up here in America, I was the only brown kid in my high school. I was the only brown kid in CalArts. I was the, for a long time, I was the only brown animator at Pixar. And it's just, you just feel like comfortable in the background. It feels very uncomfortable for me to be in the foreground. It feels very uncomfortable for me to take up space, which I've gone to therapy about. <laughs> um, and so it really took, it really took the people in power to ask me to step into the spotlight. It really took that. I think as a minority, you just, you're somehow like programmed to like not feel comfortable there. Or I do. So how did the, the pitch then kind of you, the idea, you, you, you've been convinced you need to, to try and do this. So how do you get those ideas then into, into taking form in a, in a, in a Pixar, Pixar short? I pitched four concepts to John. John loved every one of them. He was so inspired. Um, and I think he smelled it on me. He smelled it in the concept that I wasn't trying to please anybody except me and my parents. He smelled, he smelled like white hot integrity. <laughs> you know, most people are so desperate to, like, you know, it's, 
we don't get to make many of these shorts. It's, it's a, the, these are like special little jewels. It's, it's a rare opportunity for anybody to make one of these at Pixar. And so people are very desperate to sort of have the opportunity. I wasn't desperate. I was like, I don't want anything to do with it, you know? But I, was, I wanted to do right by my dad's sense of duty. And so I knew that if I was going to do the job, I was going to do it freaking awesome. And so uh, John smelt that. He saw all the concepts. He loved all the concepts. And then uh, he asked me about how I grew up. And I told him uh, that I was raised in LA. And I told him that every morning, <laughs> Because one of the concepts was based on the film that we made, but it wasn't as personal. It was really about a little boy in India growing up, or he was, it was about a, a little boy in India who is guarding a temple, or he works in front of a temple, but he doesn't appreciate the temple. And the temple is full of stories. It's all around him on these walls, but he's got his nose buried in an X-Men comic. And the, the transformation from the boy is basically turning around, seeing the stories that are in this temple. And so the, the pitch with that concept was about a boy essentially sort of appreciating his root stories. And John, he liked that concept. He's like, that's, that's great. But he's like, um, he's like, that's an intellectual transformation. Mm. I told him about how I grew up with my dad, because he asked about that. Um, and I had this one drawing. This is the only drawing I had along with that idea, that intellectual pitch. And I showed him this drawing. I was like, well, actually, since you mentioned it, I'm like, this is my story. This is the inspiration behind it. Every morning I worship my gods in my shrine, the TV. And every morning my dad worshiped his gods at his shrine. And they were Hindu deities. And the problem was that we were, as an immigrant, we were kind of crushed in this same room. And unfortunately, we would both be devoted at the same time. <laughs> we sort of worship our gods around the same time. John loved that. And the reason he loved that, he explained this to me. This is, this is like, I don't know, 10 minutes into having this conversation. I'd been working on this for three months. And he's like, ah, I see what you got here. He's like, why I like the story about you and your father is because the growth there is emotional. The growth with a little boy coming to appreciate the root stories of his culture is intellectual. Everybody has a parent. And everybody might, or most people, most kids feel their parents are irrelevant, or they, are, they have a hard time relating to, connecting to their parents. And he just felt like there was a way to connect both those ideas about coming to appreciate your culture as a way to finally connect to your father. And so even though it was the seed of, it was the organ, I would say, of the idea that I wanted to put out there, I never expected to actually have my heart literally be the story. This was my heart. This was my history, that story about me and my dad. I didn't want to tell a story about me. <laughs> I didn't, again, you just, you don't feel there's, that was the most boring part of my life. And so I couldn't imagine bringing that story to Pixar. It took John Lasseter to make it feel, to, to tell me that it's relevant. Again, as a minority, as somebody who grows up outside of the norm here, this is the stuff I was embarrassed about. Uh, the, the weird things that my parents would do, the funny things that they would say, that was the thing I was ashamed of. 
the weird things that they would believe in. That was the thing that felt scary to expose to people, even to people at Pixar. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. But once John Laster said, no, this is relevant, this is important. In fact, we're going to turn the entire resources of the studio to help you make what you felt was irrelevant growing up. All credit goes to John. And I'm not just saying that, it really, he championed this story from beginning to end. Um, as we were making it, there were lots of concerns, especially around religion. Mm-hmm. And John, straight away, he's like, I don't want to make, he's, we brought in lots of consul- uh, groups to help us consult, Hindu experts, religion experts, uh, experts that Disney had, both in Southeast Asia, lots of experts. And we'd bring all this information to John to help us figure out what to do. And John was, he always felt like, I don't want to tell this story because I'm not trying to tell a religious story here. He's like, Sanjay, I didn't want to tell your story because it has religion. He's like, that's great that that, he's like, that's, that's, that's the honesty of your experience. He's like, that's the story I want to tell. He's like, I want to tell the truth of you and your dad. I want to tell the truth of the religious experience of one boy and one father, not of all of Hinduism not of all of India. He's like, that's where we're going to get into hot water. He's like, so long as you're telling the truth about you and your dad, we could always stand behind that. And so that was great advice. And then, in fact, he wanted to push it further. He's like, how would you feel um, if at the end we actually showed a photo of the real you and your father. He's like, you know, uh, he mentioned Argo. He's like, have you seen Argo? And I was like, I was embarrassed. I was like, no, I haven't seen it, man. (laughs) He's like, okay, okay. Uh, He's like, have you seen Schindler's List? I was like, yeah, I've seen Schindler's List. And he's like, you know, it's so powerful at the end when the actors come out on stage with some of their survivors and they put photos out and they light a candle to these survivors. And it really hammers home that this wasn't a movie, this is real. And he's like, the emotion just, it's, it just, you're flooded with emotion because you know it's real. John is like, this is real, this is a real story. He's like, that's what I want, that's why I wanted to tell your story, because it's real, Sanjay. So you talked about <laughs> your own reluctance in trying to, trying to push this, this project forward. Ter- terror, terror, <laughs> just terror. absolute terror. 
fear. <laughs> it's also a film that kind of breaks, breaks some of the Pixar rules um, as far as the, the aesthetics of it. Um, can, can, can you talk about that? It goes places that Pixar hadn't gone before. Yeah, I mean, that was a big deal for me. So, um, John is really excited to always push the boundaries of computer graphics. And I knew um, that what was so cool is that when you look at the sculptures or temples from Southeast Asia, those artists are working to the peak of their technology. Mm. Okay, and they are creating amazing experiences. If you understood what those craftsmen were doing in terms of your progress in a temple, it is amazing in terms of your spiritual transcendence. There's so much thought that those craftsmen put into their planning of how to transmit a spiritual experience to you. So I just have the utmost reverence for those folks working to the utmost limits of their technology. Fast forward to 2012, and here we have this new set of tools, computer graphics. And so, you know, it was just so cool to be like, I didn't want it to look at all like my books, which were flat and graphic. In fact, I wanted the opposite of that. I wanted the boy's cartoon to feel flat and graphic, two-dimensional. What I wanted for the little boy to realize is to feel, I don't say the fourth dimension, but three dimensions. I want these deities to leap off the screen. I wanted, I really wanted this boy to sort of have this immersive experience that I never got, that I know those craftsmen were trying to get to. And we had this technology to do it. What you guys didn't see here was stereo, uh, the 3D version with glasses. It's phenomenal. I'm not a big fan of stereo or 3D, but it, like, it really works well yeah. with the short because we suppress stereo. We suppress stereo until the boy wakes up the gods and ha wakes up the temple. And that's when you get amazing dimension. And those speed lines, those anime speed lines, really make you feel like you're in this tunnel. Um, and then it all collapses once the deities go back into their shrine. I knew that all that was possible. John knew all that was possible. And so we went for it, man. We went with the widest lenses possible. With wide lenses, you get amazing distortions. We never want to distort Woody's face or Buzz's face. With the deities, I wanted it to feel distorted because I wanted it to feel like illusions of light. I didn't want them to ever feel solid. I want them to have this sort of subtle dimension to them. Um, we also work so hard on the temple. Once the boy lights the dia in the center of that temple, it was so hard to kind of visually communicate the realm of the sort of the celestials. I really wanted to communicate the sense of infinity and the sense of enlightenment. And that's, these are so esoteric, but I'm in these meetings with all these artists and like, come on, man, like we need to like open up the fourth dimension here for, these, for this little boy, for, 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 it, for him to wake up, for him to wake up from this dream, to have this epiphany, he needs to see what's solid turn subtle. He needs to see what's uh, rock and stone go celestial. He needs to make it feel infinite. He needs to have this sort of transcendent experience. 
it's in the philosophy. I wanted to do right by it. So we pushed on lenses. We pushed on distortion. When it came to lighting, we did a lot of things that blew out the light. These are things that we would never do. These are things that, like shining a light at this cam uh, shining a camera at this light, you get uh, light flares, you get distortions. We never do that. We correct for that. And uh, real cameras work really hard to uh, correct for that, but they get a lot of those light leaks and it makes it feel real and special. I wanted a lot of that. I really wanted you squinting a lot because it's so bright hot to look at. Again, John was on board ev at every sort of second because thematically this whole shirt was about light, the light going on in this little boy's head. And so when that light fires on, I really wanted to push dimensions of light, dimensions of scope and sound. And you also bring in you work with a consultant on, on dance for the, for the motion and, yeah. and, and, the, and the film. Can you talk about that and the, and the martial art that comes in? Comes in totally. So we knew we were going to have this fight between the gods and demons. And um, I knew right away, I'm like, we're not going to do a superhero fight. Uh, everything I read, again, all this stuff, it's not that I'm coming up with a creative decision. It's not that I have some uh, original idea. None of these ideas are original. It's all in the mythology. Uh, the temple, the transformation, the space, it's all in the mythology. Um, the deities have this dance with the demons. They have this strange, they have this kind of dance where it's not as <laughs> The deities have been brought to life for like three, two, three thousand years in India, every day through the theater traditions. And um, be it Bharatnatyam, Katak, Odyssey, Katakali, these are amazing traditions. Amazing. They're a universe unto itself in terms of mime, theater, gesture, storytelling. It's dizzying how deep these traditions are. And I just thought, let's bring those gestures and mudras and uh, postures to our deities because it will underlie them with a sense of grace and androgyny. Because again, that underlies these deities. This is not about the Western notions of force and, I don't know, just pure violence. You know, I really wanted something different than that. We wanted this feeling of dance and grace and beauty. Um, we wanted Vishnu to have this androgyny. We wanted Durga, the goddess of power and protection, to have this force but we always wanted it to be beautiful and we wanted it to be steeped in this esoteric language of mudras and katak and bharatnatyam that very little people will get, but damn it, those gestures matter. When she does her gesture, that is a mudra, that's a specific mudra that nobody will know about, but we knew about because Catherine Kunyaraman came in and taught our animators specific gestures and mudras that made for a specific choice. And if we made a specific choice in our animation, then that would help it feel less generic. And if it felt less generic, then somehow it would make it feel quirky and weird and specific. And if it's quirky and weird specific, maybe it might ring true. So unfortunately, we've, we're, we've come to the point where we have time for just, just one more question. What did your father think of the film? Yeah, so my dad, um, we, we got this question a lot especially while we were making the short. So we were making this film. We hadn't done a pic uh, something this personal at Pixar ever. Um, 
So everybody was curious, like, dude, Sanjay, what, do you, what does your dad think? And I'm like, oh gosh, I'm like, I don't even know how to begin to answer this. So my dad hasn't seen a movie for like 40 years. Um, I finally asked him, dad, what was the last movie you saw? He's like, something with Julie Andrews. It was in the UK. It was, turned out it was The Sound of Music. And um, he had never seen an animated film. He had never seen a Pixar animated film. He had never seen any of the movies that I'd worked on in the 20 years. And so now I was asking my dad to come to Pixar, take a day off from work, fly up to the studio, and watch a film about his and I's history. It was like I was nervous, man. I was like, I don't know. This could go really bad, man. And so um, we actually had some cameras, and we actually have some footage, and maybe we'll run it at the end. But um, my dad sat down. He watched it. And uh, you know, as you know, you, you guys saw the short. That thing races by, and there's like a million ideas in there. You're like, don't blink, or you'll miss it. And uh, my dad, like, he applauded. And uh, you know, he reflected back to me what the story felt like for him. And he's like, it's about a son and his father. And it's about religion. And it's about a way for them to compromise. And I just liked how simple, how simply he, how quickly he got it, and how simply and easily he reflected that back to me. I love that, this way of finding this middle ground. And then he broke down into tears, actually. You got to see the video. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Sanjay Patel. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing and inspiring. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this evening's program brought to you by uh, the American India Foundation and the Commonwealth Club of Silicon Valley. Uh, we want to thank Sanjay Patel, Pixar animator, Stephen Som, editor of Santa Clara Magazine, and to all of you here today, um, as well as those listeners that have joined us on radio. And now this meeting is adjourned, and I'm supposed to do the gavel. Thank you for joining us for this week-to-week -week presentation of a recent Commonwealth Club program. I'm John Zipperer, host of Week to Week, and I invite you to find us online at commonwealthclub.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in today. For more on us and other programs or podcasts you might have missed, you can head to michellemeow.com. See you all next week. Tune into the Michelle Meow Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.